Section 4 of Deeds of Daring Done by Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Deeds of Daring Done by Girls by Hannah Moore. Defense of Castle Dangerous, Year 1692, Part 1. The sun shone bright and warm on the little frontier settlement of Verscher, one crisp October morning in the year 1692. Though the settlement was small, it was pleasantly placed on the south shore of the St. Lawrence River, not more than 20 miles from Montreal, which was considered but a short distance from a place of safety in those days when homes were being hewn out of the wilderness. The seigneur, or governor of the place, was an old soldier formerly a captain in the renowned regiment of Carignan, which was sent to New France to give aid and protection to the settlers and to assist them in repelling the Iroquois. The officers of this great regiment were rewarded for their services by large grants of land along the rivers, which were for many years the great highways. The officers in turn rented out the land to the soldiers under them, and none save the colonel himself was allowed to return to France so anxious was that country to increase the population of its colonies. When our story opens, Seigneur Verscher was on military duty at Quebec. His wife had gone on a visit to Montreal, and they had left the little family at home in charge of Madelon, the only daughter, a girl about 14 years old. There were two young brothers, Louis, a lad of 12, and Alexander, who was about a year younger. There were... Besides, the settlers who looked on Madelon as the representative of her father. We can hardly picture to ourselves what a very rude place this settlement was, and as it lay near the trail of the Iroquois, it had become known throughout New France as Castle Dangerous. At this time, the Iroquois, containing the strong and invincible Five Nations, had two motives which swayed their savage breasts most powerfully. These were love of fighting and love of gain. They were dependent on the Dutch and English at Albany for guns, powder, lead, brandy, and many other things which the white man had brought with him from the old world, and which these children of the woods had come to regard only too quickly as necessary for their comfort. True, beaver skins could buy these things which they coveted, but with the Iroquois the supply was limited. The great forests stretching to the west and northwest, and those of the upper lakes, were occupied by tribes who were bound to French interests, and it was the French traders who controlled their immense annual product of furs. Every summer there was a great fair at Montreal, where the trading for a whole year took place, and the remote tribes brought in their accumulated beaver skins. The Iroquois saw and envied these furs and the strong waters which they enabled their possessors to buy, so they became more than ever bent on mastering all this traffic by first conquering the tribes. The Dutch and English urged them on, for the Hurons, Ottawas, and other tribes were the children of the French, working in their interest and protected by them, while French and Indians alike were enemies of the Iroquois. Thus it was no accidental attack that the French had to fear at Castle Dangerous, but a determined effort by a race that could put nearly 3,000 warriors in the field, 
and that constantly increased this force by adopting captives into the tribes. The settlement at Castle Dangerous consisted of the blockhouse, a strong building made of timbers, of the house of the seigneur, some rude shacks, and the fort itself, which was connected with the blockhouse by a covered way. All of the settlers lived in these buildings for safety, since their pitiless enemy, the Iroquois, had always to be guarded against. There were as well bands of wandering Indians that were constantly passing up and down the trail that lay along the St. Lawrence River. Rude and dangerous as the place seemed, Madelon loved it, since it was home to her. She was brave and had been trained by her father in the use of firearms, to be cool in the face of danger and quick to meet emergencies. The morning of the 22nd of October broke fair. The sun rose amid banks of purple and gold clouds, and as there was still work to be done in the fields, the men of the settlement started off directly after the morning meal, leaving the women and children, two soldiers, one old man of 80, and Madelon in charge of the fort. For a long time, Verchere had been unmolested. Settlers had come to feel that perhaps there was not much further danger to be feared from the foe and with this feeling of fancied security they had grown less vigilant. Madelon, attracted by the beauty of the day, started to go down to the landing place, which hung over the river and made an admirable spot from which to fish, the river being noted for the excellence and number of fine fish to be found there. "'Come, Lavalette,' she called to a French half-breed who was hired to work about the fort. "'Bring some lines, and perhaps we can catch fish enough to serve for a meal.' They were busily engaged in this peaceful sport, when suddenly the sound of firing was heard in the neighborhood of the place where the settlers were at work in the field. "'Run, mademoiselle! Run! The Iroquois are coming!' screamed Lavalette, and, taking her by the hand, they fled towards the fort. "'Can we reach it? Dost thou think?' "'Courage, mademoiselle! We are almost there!' replied Lavalette. And so the Iroquois thought also, since they gave up the chase of the flying girl and contented themselves with firing at her and her companion. As the bullets whistled by, she prayed aloud, Holy Mary, save us! And as the words inspired her with fresh courage, she shouted as she neared the fort, Help, help! To arms! Her wild call was not heard, and at the very gate itself were two sobbing women who from the battlement of the fort had seen their husbands murdered in the field and stood wringing their hands in misery. Oh, come within, come in, think of the children. And as she spoke, Madelon pushed the two women in before her and with the aid of La Valette shut the heavy gate. Where are the soldiers? was her next question. Hidden in the blockhouse, sister, said Louis, the elder of the two boys, came to meet his sister with the gun in his hand. They ran together to the blockhouse, and there, sure enough, were the two men, crazed with fear, and one of them holding in his hand a lighted fuse. "'What do you with that fuse?' "'Light the powder and blow us all up,' cried the soldier, while his companion, huddling in the corner, only moaned. "'Miserable coward! Go from this place at once!' And Madelon's voice rang with such determination and command that the man obeyed. See, since none of you dare, I myself will defend this fort, for my father would shame if his daughter could not keep it when there are arms and powder and all those that can use them. Sister, said Alexander, 
Give me a gun, for I too can load and fire one. Truly thou shalt have one, little brother. We shall fight to the death. Remember what our father hath taught us, that men are born to shed their lives for their country and their king. Though I be but a girl, I shall do as he would wish, since neither of you is old enough to take command here. Even the craven soldiers, inspired with some small degree of courage, agreed to follow their intrepid commander. His first order was that they should make a round of the palisades, that high fence of great logs with pointed ends that surrounded the forts and blockhouses, planted in the wilderness, and to which many owed their safety, since they were well-nigh impossible to climb, and the garrison within had those that climbed at their mercy. As they hurried to the palisades, Madelon put on her head one of the soldier caps which she saw in the blockhouse. "'Why do you put that cap on, sister?' asked Louis, with a curiosity which he could not repress even at that critical time. "'So that the Iroquois shall not think it's a girl making the rounds. You put one on also, and give one to Alexander.' The feeble band hurried to go round the inside of the palisades to see that all was secure. For on this defense of the heavy logs... Their very lives depended. Thank the Holy Virgin that we came, Madelon exclaimed, for they found not one, but half a dozen of the logs gone at different places. And had this been discovered by the Indians, there would have been little chance for the small band to have escaped being slain. Help, Louis! Push, Alexander! We can get this log into place while the soldiers set up those that have wholly fallen down. As she spoke, the brave girl and the two little brothers tugged with might and main, and got the heavy log in place, and held it while the soldiers drove it into the ground so that no opening was left in the palisades. All the other weak spots were mended under her direction, the two men working as she ordered, since they seemed incapable of taking charge themselves. When the palisades were well repaired, and Madelon thought there was no further danger to be feared from that direction, she said, now we must make the cowardly Iroquois believe there is a strong garrison within, and never let them think that my father is from home. So let each one in turn fire from the loopholes, and see to it, boys, that there is no shot wasted. Finding that the firing was scattering but continuous, the Indians, ever adverse to making an attack on a fortified place, withdrew to the woods. Shortly, however, they discovered some of the settlers who had escaped the morning assault, creeping back to the fort, and with horrid yells, the savages pursued and killed them. The women and children in the fort cried and screamed without ceasing, knowing that their loved ones were being killed without mercy. At last, Madelon, fearing that they would be heard by the Indians and their distress taken as a sign of weakness, ordered them to stop and tried to busy them about the defense. Load and fire the cannon, La Bolette. It will serve as a warning to any of the settlers that may have escaped, and I have heard my father say that Indians ever fear a cannon. So the cannon was fired, and Madelon from her loophole saw the tall, painted forms of the enemy take refuge in the forest. But this was not the last duty of the little commander that night. From her place on the bastions of the fort, she saw a canoe with a settler whom she knew well, named Fontaine, coming towards the landing. He was not alone, but had his wife and family with him. I must save them if it is to be the will of God. Lavalette, dost thou see any of the Indians lurking in the wood's edge? 
There be none very near at hand, mademoiselle. Perhaps a cannon affrighted them. I pray that it may be so, since there is none but thou and I to save our friends, I fear. Nay, there are the soldiers. Sure it is their business to venture to the dock and bring in Sieur Fontaine. Listen thou, La Volette, the while I ask them to do this. The soldiers summoned before their little commander. Though testifying their willingness to follow all her orders within the palisades, absolutely refused to risk their lives by going beyond its shelter. "'Twas as I feared. Thou and I must save them, Lavalette. Thou shalt keep guard at the gate, and I will to the landing and bring them hither. Pray, mademoiselle, bid me to go, and thou stay and keep the gate. Nay, for I have heard my father say that the Indian is ever wary about that which he doth not understand. They will marvel why I go alone to the landing, and doubtless think it is but a ruse to draw them hither, so that we may train the cannon on them again. If they appear, go thou in and bar the gate, since we must save the fort at any cost, and as many lives as is possible. So Madelon, with a bravery that might have put to shame the soldiers skulking within the fort, alone and in full sight, walked down to the landing, assisted Fontaine to take his family and goods from the canoe, and placed the party in front of her marched back to the fort entirely unmolested. As she hoped, the Indians, seeing her put so bold a face on the matter, suspected they had something to fear from the occupants of the fort. So while they hesitated, Madelon acted. Once within the stronghold, how the little party wept and prayed with joy. Now indeed, I feel as if there was hope, since thou art here to help me, Sir Fontaine. There are enough so that we may divide the watch, and as long as daylight lasts, to fire on the enemy if ever one is seen to show himself. Thou, Louis, and Alexander as well, shalt take turns at the loopholes, and see that thy aim not go astray. The rest of the day was spent in making all the defenses as strong as possible, in which Fontaine gave valuable assistance, for he was a brave man, accustomed to the wiles of the murderous enemy, and wise of the ways of border warfare. At sunset, a fierce northeast wind began to blow, and the first snow of the season mixed with hail filled the air, making it deadly cold and a night to try the spirits of the small band who were fighting for their lives. At first, Madelon hoped that the storm would drive the Indians to shelter for the night, but they were constantly seen appearing at the edge of the woods, and, as it seemed, making preparations for an attack under cover of darkness and to gain entrance into the fort that night. Go, Louis, and tell the men that I would speak with them. When the whole force was mustered, there were but six in all, two of them boys, and one an old man over eighty. Madeline spoke to them thus. God has saved us today from the hands of our enemies, and let us pray that we shall escape their snares tonight. As for me, know that I am not afraid. See, I will keep the fort with the old man and my brothers, whilst you, Pierre Fontaine, and the two soldiers, La Bonte and Gachet, go into the blockhouse with the women and children, as it is the safest place. If I am taken, do not you surrender, even if the horrible Iroquois cut me to pieces and burn me before your eyes. I am but one, and in the blockhouse they cannot reach you if you care for yourselves as you should. So all to your places, and may God keep us through the night. Madeline tromped off to her chosen place of duty with the old man and her young brothers. Louis, she said, 
Choose thou the place on the bastion where thou wilt serve. Alexander shall choose next, then the old man, and I shall take the last. Each did as he was bidden, and all night, through the wind and storm, the two little boys, the aged man whose fires of life had burned so low, and the young girl kept vigil. All night long the cries of All's well rang from the bastion to the blockhouse, making it appear as if the place was fully manned by a large garrison. At about one o'clock, the old man who was on guard at the place on the bastion nearest the gate called out, Mademoiselle, I hear something. Mayhap the enemy. His voice quavered with fear and fatigue, and as Madelon hurried to him, she feared the worst had come. Where is it thou hearest something? asked Madelon, hardly above her breath. There, just below, at the gate of the fort. Surely I see them too, and well I know the poor creatures, since for many a day this summer past have I driven them to pasture. The snow had whitened the ground so that Madelon's bright eyes had been able to distinguish that the dark forms huddled at the gate were the poor remnant of the cattle that had not been killed or driven off by the Iroquois. Summoning the others from the blockhouse, they took counsel together as to whether they should open the gate and let the cattle in. The men were all anxious to do this, but Madelon feared the crafty foe. How canst thou tell but what we let in the savages also? Such creatures of wile are they, that we know not if they not be concealed in the hides of the beasts already slaughtered, and if we are simple enough to open the gate they may enter the fort. An hour passed, and still the cattle stood there, and there were no signs that the enemy was among them. So at last Madelon called Louis and Alexander. Brothers, she said, we must get the cattle if it be possible. You shall stand on either side of the gate and have your guns cocked while I go forth and drive the beasts in. If the Indians make a rush, shoot, and then shut the gate as quickly as thou canst. The heavy gate was swung back, and Madelon stepped out. It did not take long for her to drive the few cattle that remained of the generous herd that had gone to pasture that morning. The remainder of the night passed away without any further alarms, and when darkness disappeared, many of the fears and anxieties of the small garrison disappeared also. As it is always easier to face the fears that may be seen than those that are born of the imagination. Defense of Castle Dangerous, Part 2 With the dawning of the second day of the defense of Castle Dangerous, the spirits of all rose, all, that is, except one, and this was Dame Marguerite, the wife of Sieur Fontaine. She, poor soul, had but lately come from Paris and was yet a stranger to the difficulties and dangers of life in the wilderness. Her complaints were unceasing, and she gave her husband no rest, constantly imploring him to carry her to another fort. Her selfish thought was for herself alone, and she cried, Save me, Pierre, save me! Was it to expose me to such horrible danger that you sent for me to come from Paris, where I was safe and happy? I sent for you and our children, that we might be all together and make a home in this new free land. But methinks that perhaps it had been best to let thee remain where thou wast, and where there was nothing to disturb thy ease. It is in my heart to wish well that I was there again, Pierre, and had never seen this hateful wilderness. Oh, wilt thou not take me to some place of safety ere I die with fright? Peace, woman, and shame me to know further by thy childish plaint. 
for the very children are more brave than thou. As for Mademoiselle Madelon, she has the courage of a man, though she is but a girl. Nor will I ever leave this fort while she is here to defend it. After this, the woman subsided into a peevish quiet, which was at least easier to bear than her complaints. All the others, even those who had lost fathers, husbands, or brothers, put aside their griefs and united in an effort to compass their common safety. The meals were served out as usual. The work inside the fort progressed as it did each day, since each one felt that the best way to keep grief at bay was to occupy oneself in helping others. During the middle of the afternoon, all the people were called together by Madelon, so that their situation could be discussed. The soldiers, poor creatures, knew not what to counsel, and sought only to stay in the blockhouse, the safest spot. Small account was taken of them, though they were the very ones whom the others should have looked for protection. Sir Fontaine, the old man, and the two boys were of course for staying, and not endeavouring to escape by night down the river. Encouraged by them, Madelon made a little speech to the garrison and the women and children under their charge. "'Dear friends,' said she, "'never willingly will I give up this fort. Rather would I die than that the enemy should gain it. Hear what my father said to me, that it was of the greatest importance that the Iroquois should never gain possession of any French fort, since, if they gained one, soon they would grow more bold and think they could get others.' and after that, all safety would be at an end. "'What you say is true enough,' said the Sieur Fontaine, rising in his turn to encourage the people. "'Nor may any of us complain, if a girl be brave enough to stay on the bastions for a day and night without rest or repose, and whoever carries before us a cheerful face. I, for one, cry, Viva, viva! Long live the brave Madelon! Viva, viva!' they cried, one and all and the feeble garrison returned to their post, reanimated and hopeful that relief would come to save them. For a weary week they were in constant alarm. Each day showed them the enemy lurking about, and each night made them fearful that the attack that had not come during the light would be attempted during the darkness. But every night dragged itself away at last, and each morning brought, if not the help so eagerly expected, at least courage to wait for it. On the eighth night, poor weary Madelon was dozing in the fort, with her head pillowed on a table, and her gun beside her, when she heard the sentinel on watch call, Qui vive? She sprang to her feet, and with her gun in her hand, ran up to the bastion. Why called you? Listen, mademoiselle, dost thou not hear a sound on the river like the splashing of oars? Surely, yes. There are voices, too. Canst thou tell if they be French or Indian? No. They breathe so low, mademoiselle. Madelon put her hands to her mouth and called, low but clear, Who are you? The answer came back in the loved French accents, We are Frenchmen. It is La Monnerie who comes from down the river to bring you aid. The gate was flung open wide, but even yet Madelon's caution did not desert her, for she placed a sentinel on guard, and then alone, as she had gone before, she marched down to the landing place to meet the soldiers. When she came face to face with Lieutenant Lamonnerie, she saluted, and, Monsieur, said she, I surrender my arms to you. Being a gallant Frenchman, and as yet hardly understanding the situation, knowing that there were soldiers within the fort, he answered, 
Mademoiselle, they are in good hands. But he smiled as he said it, looking on the girlish form before him, with his soldier cap and heavy gun. Madeleine saw the smile, and who can blame her that she answered, In better hands than you think. Will Monsieur come and inspect the fort? The lieutenant and his forty men followed her up to the fort, found everything in order, and a sentinel on each bastion. He turned with a look of surprise to Madelon and asked, Why does not the commandant of this fort come to receive me? I have commanded this fort, monsieur, during the absence of my father, since there was no one either willing or able to do it. Will monsieur give me his orders? The surprised lieutenant, after looking again about him, turned and bowed. What commands does mademoiselle wish me to give? For my part, there seems nothing for me to alter. If monsieur will relieve the garrison, it would be well, since none of us have been off the bastions for a week. We can well imagine that there were deep and peaceful slumbers in Castle Dangerous that night, and let us hope that the cowardly soldiers had to take their turn at last at the bastion duty. I cannot find in the history that they did, however. Think of the pride and pleasure that Madelon's father and mother felt in their daughter when the news of her bravery reached them. What they said to her when she told them all about it, history does not say either. But the facts of the defense were written down as Madelon herself told them, in obedience to the commands of the Marquis de Beauharnais, Governor of Canada. Even in those dangerous times, when one never knew what peril the next moment would bring forth, and women as well as men took their share of guarding homes and firesides, such wonderful bravery and determination in a girl of fourteen did not pass unnoticed. Through the efforts of those in power, Manelon was highly commended at the great French court overseas, and was granted a pension by the king, to be paid to her each year as long as she should live. In another encounter with Indians many years later, she saved the life of a French gentleman, whom she afterward married. All her life was passed in the midst of peril, and on no occasion when bravery was demanded was Madelon ever found wanting. End of section four.